Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Sports Legends of the Carolinas. I'm your host, Scott Fowler, sports columnist for the Charlotte Observer, where I've worked since 1994. And in this podcast, I travel across the Carolinas, seeking out some of my favorite sports legends and asking them to tell me the stories behind their rise to iconic status. Now, for this episode of Sports Legends, we're back in our podcast studio in Charlotte, and I'm happy to have with me George Shin, the original owner of the Charlotte Hornets. Captain with five seconds, cross court to Reed. 20-footer blocked by Jordan, tip Rambus, no. Rebound battle, Rambus lays it in. Game's Charlotte wins the game. Once upon a time in the Queen City, way back in the 70s and 80s, there were two main sports in our area that dominated, NASCAR and pro wrestling, which most of my friends called wrestling. I mean, a lot of people didn't even know exactly what state Charlotte was in, as you'll hear from this interview. And then George Shin came along, and suddenly, somehow, Charlotte had a professional sports identity and an NBA team. Shin was complicated, controversial, charismatic, Charlotte Hornets are here largely because of him, but they also left for a time largely because people lost confidence in him. That happened when Shin was sued for sexual assault. His trial was nationally televised on Court TV in 1999. A jury acquitted Shin, but on the witness stand he had to admit to questionable behavior, including two sexual relationships with women other than his then wife. It tarnished his relationship with the city and with Hornets fans. In 2001, voters in Charlotte rejected a referendum that would have built the Hornets a new arena. In large part, that vote was considered a personal rejection of Shin. But the Hornets are back in Charlotte now, and they never would have gotten here in the first place without George Shin. Don't forget to pre-order your copy of the Sports Legends book at sportslegendsbook.com. And here's George Shin next on Sports Legends of the Carolinas. George, welcome to the show. My pleasure. Really glad to have you. And um, let's start off because you are one of the people, sports legends of the Carolinas, that truly grew up in the Carolinas. So tell me about what life was like growing up for you. Well, I grew up in uh, a mill town, Cotton Mill, uh, Cannon Mills, uh, Kannapolis, North Carolina. Uh, My dad had been married. His wife died when she was 28 years old of cancer. They had three children. My mom uh, uh, had one child from a previous marriage, and she was divorced. They got married and had little George. (laughs) Uh, I'm George Shin Jr., and uh, uh, my dad died of a stroke uh, when he was 50 years old, and uh, he had a lot of bills that had to be paid. He was a businessman, and he... Uh, with him gone, it was uh, they had to sell our property, our home, to pay off his debts, and it was quite a struggle for uh, my mom. It was just me and my mom, and my dad owned a Gulf service station, and mom kept it working, operating uh, the grocery. They had they sold groceries. We had a few acres, and he sold tomatoes and vegetables and things like that and uh, at the store. And uh, uh, after he died, she continued to keep it going. She uh, would actually pump gas. We survived because of welfare. Uh, the, uh, the state sent us a monthly check to get by. 
uh, I had hand-me-down clothes, and I got kidded about it a lot when I was in school with clothes too big. My mom said I would grow into them. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I got free lunches when, when I was in school, too. And so we struggled. But during that time, I had a lot of criticism because a lot of the kids in school uh, heard I was getting free lunches, and I started getting a lot of kidding about it, and it really hurt my feelings. And I just remember my mom was a person of faith, and she kept encouraging me to don't let other people pull you down with their words or whatever. You just be strong. You be a strong person. And she always told me to uh, a very simple principle that I've tried to pattern my whole life on is that I could do anything on this planet I wanted to if I put God first and if I worked my butt off. And she said that uh, God will, if you give back, God will reward you tenfold. And so later on in my career, that just came back to me. Of course, I I love sports. I loved. Uh, I was a, a baseball nut. I love baseball, and um, I got hooked on that early. And um, obviously, you can look at me and tell I wasn't a basketball player. But uh, <laughs> people can't see you on the podcast. How tall are you? Uh, well, uh, back in uh, now, I shrunk a little bit. I'm 81 years old. So, uh, uh, but. Uh, Back in my high school days, I still got the same weight. I weighed 145, and I was 5'7". That was on the football roster when I when I played. Uh, and uh, now I'm I'm 5'6", and I have to stretch it to be there. If you want to know the <laughs> truth, uh, so uh, but uh, it's uh, you know it's been a wonderful ride. It's been a quite an experience, and and I feel like that uh, part of my calling or mission was to try to help others and and do things to serve others that's my focus charlotte has been the benefit beneficiary of your generosity uh, many times and we'll get into some of that as well now high school Kannapolis, for those who don't know, about 35 minutes or something from Charlotte, I guess. What, did you go to A.L. Brown? or A.L. Brown High School. Right? Okay. And is that is it apocryphal or is it true that you were dead last in your graduating class? Well, here's the, the story. What happened is my high school friend, a guy I grew up with named Glenn Compton, tremendous guy. He got killed when he was 29 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, he worked at Lake Norman. But anyway, he... Uh, uh, we used to kid each other a lot. I was a little guy, small. He was a big guy. He was about 6'4 and weighed 320-some pounds. Huge guy, great football player. What happened is that uh, I had literally had to take two subjects in summer school to graduate, and they would not allow me to walk across the stage. My mom tried to get them to let me carry a fake diploma or give me a fake diploma, and they wouldn't do it. So I ended up uh, going to the beach, but my buddy Glenn told everybody that I was last. I had I was the worst student in our class, and it kind of stuck, and uh, that's where it came from. Oh, okay. But <laughs> but so we did do our research. Nobody else, everybody else graduated at the end of the school period except me. Oh well, I think that that counts. And as so true. so yeah. I I am literally <laughs> the last of my I was the worst student in the class, and that's actually. Truthfully, the way it happened. So, uh, 
Uh, and actually, the first graduation I ever attended in my life, I was the speaker. <laughs> and, uh, Which was, what was that about? You were, well, was it one of your colleges? Well, was it, it was, no, no, no. no. It was, uh, I spoke at, uh, at A.L. Brown High School. And I have since, uh, I have eight honorary degrees. And uh, my most recent one was Lipscomb University, and uh, it's a university in Nashville. It's a Christian university that I've uh, donated. Of course, it cost me, okay? <laughs> and uh, But uh, I, I didn't earn it, and uh, they were referring to me. You as, paid tuition. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. I assure you, I did. Tell people where you mostly live now. And, and with whom and such? Well, at this time, uh, uh, I, have a, I have three homes. I have a home. My primary home is in Franklin, Tennessee, where we do a lot of fundraising. I have a, a, a little over 50 acres, and it, uh, we ha I have a beautiful, what I call a car barn, and it's got horsepower in it, not horses. And we do have horses that farm, but... Uh, I use it to raise money for charity, and we raise literally millions of dollars. Um, uh, I don't open the barn for people just to come and visit, or I don't sell tickets, but I try to get in their pockets when they come. <laughs> and uh, so uh, uh, I spend the majority of my time there. We also have a home in Stewart, Florida. We love uh, the warm weather when it gets cold here. And... Uh, I also have a place in North Carolina mountains at uh, Linville Ridge that we we love going to. And when you say we, you mean yourself and your wife, right, Megan? Megan right. right. You yes. got married a couple of years ago. This yeah. is your third wife, right? Right. Yeah. right. And uh, we, uh, you know, it was kind of a interesting situation. I I have I was married twice before, and with my first wife, I had three children, uh, two sons and a daughter. And who are very healthy and and doing doing fine, and so um, as you met Megan, she uh, she came into my life through a friend that was um, she had been married twice before, and um, um, her primary goal was she wanted to find a partner, but she wanted that partner to be a Christian, and that was one of the primary things that I was wanting myself and. A dear friend of mine who lived in Florida uh, introduced me to her, and uh, I, at first I said, no, no. She he sent me pictures, and uh, he said, she's beautiful. I said, I can see that. That's not uh, <laughs> the question is, I, I, my last wife was not as young as this girl, and she was too young. And so... Um, he said, well, you got you so, got so much in common. And this guy's wife was uh, Hungarian. She was from Hungary, and she would remind you of Zsa Zsa Gabor, the way she talks. <laughs> and she uh, was good friends with Megan. And she called Megan and said, I, I want you to meet George. I think you'll really like him. And she sent some pictures of me. And Megan said, how old is he? And fortunately for me, she lied. And uh, she she did. She lied. And she told. She said, "You know, I re she knew exactly how old I was." She said, "You know, I really don't know. I think he's about sixty, but he looks like he's around fifty, and he acts like he's about twenty-five. 
and and I said you'll really have fun with him and and so anyway our first date was that uh, we played golf together with the foursome we had lunch before we played golf then we had dinner and uh, uh, we just really hit it off so well laughing just had the best time together and she has become a just a tremendous person she's uh, we we have not been apart and since we've been together and she uh you know at my age I, I try to work hard and take care of myself and uh we ride the bike together we uh regularly we work out we she takes care of all my doctor's appointments and she makes sure that I'm eating right and uh, I finally got my high school figure back. I, I weigh 145 pounds. That's a, you look good. I mean, and, you look, you're doing something right. I think you told me once we were talking, you said you were hoping to make it to 100. Yeah, that's a goal. That's mm-hmm. my goal. Uh, if I get close, I'll be tickled. Okay. <laughs> but uh, but uh, that's definitely a goal. Uh, my doctor tells me uh, she, she'll guarantee me in the 90s unless a truck hits me. And so, but I feel real good. I feel uh, health-wise, I feel good. I'm still alert. I still do a lot of speaking, and and I really enjoy. I I believe in moving. Just keep keep moving. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Well, let's go to the Hornets a little bit, George. Uh, how did you come to have the idea to have an NBA team here, the Charlotte Hornets? Well, it it, it goes back to uh, my original dream was to own a Major League Baseball team. That's that was my goal. And uh, but I was, you know, I you read in the newspaper about like the George Steinbrenners and people like that that were just tough dudes very wealthy and that type of thing. And, you know, I was doing good, but I wasn't wealthy, wealthy. And so uh, uh, I just uh, still want to check it out. Well, first of all, Eddie Einhorn, who Eddie Einhorn and Jerry Reinsdorf owns the uh, Chicago Bulls. Mm -hmm. They also own the Chicago White Sox. Right. And I met Eddie. He introduced me to Bobby Brown who was the president of the American League at the time. Great guy. I was not a Yankee fan. I was a Dodger fan, but I, he was an incredible human being. And uh, I talked to him on the phone, and I said, look, I'm, you know, they refer to me as being hillbilly, but I am a country boy, and God's blessed me, and I really would like to own a major league team, and I love baseball. And uh, I said, would you just coach me? And, uh, if I brought up my financial statement, would you give me some advice? Tell me if I'm loony or if I got a chance. So I went up, met with him, shared my financial statement, and uh, he told me, he said, "Well, you you don't have the resources to buy out a team, but my recommendation would be you got enough you could buy in." And once you buy in, and you're younger than most of the guys that are partners, you could end up getting control uh, down the road and and that was his advice and his final advice this was Uberoff he said George Charlotte is too small for Major League Baseball he said they play 160 games a year 
and uh, you don't have the population to support that. And he said, why don't you consider the NBA? Peter Ubrough. He told me that. And I said, and he said, look to me, he said, you're in basketball country. And I said, I've heard that. You're you're absolutely (laughs) right. So, uh, uh, and he said, they're expanding. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, you ought to go over and uh, uh, go over and talk to David Stern. True story. It sounds kind of crazy. But it just shows the umption I had at the time. I I could use the other reference, but I won't use that. Uh, But I went over and went. He told me where the NBA offices were. It was very close to where they were, uh, right off Fifth Avenue. And so I walked to the NBA's office. Just showed up? Just showed up. No appointment? No appointment or nothing. (laughs) And I remember uh, when I walked in, and this young lady was the receptionist. She said, uh, "May I, can I help you? And I said, yes, ma'am, I'd like to see David Stern. And she said, do you have an appointment? And I said, no, no, I don't, but it's really important. And she said, what's it about? And I said, well, I understand the NBA is expanding, and I want to apply for one of those teams. And she said, well, have a seat, Mr. Shannon. I'd already given her my name, and I didn't have a calling card. <laughs> and I sit down. Next thing I knew, Russ Granite, who was the deputy commissioner at the time, walked out. And he said, uh, Mr. Shannon, you interested in an a expansion team and in Charlotte? And I said, yes, sir, I am. And he said, what state is Charlotte in? No way. He did. And you know, I wanted. I felt, yeah, yeah. I want. I felt like walking out on him, but I didn't. And I said, "We're from Charlotte, uh, North Carolina." And so uh, he said, "Well, we'll chat with you. I'll chat with you a little bit." So Gary Bettman, you know who Gary is. Gary's the uh, commissioner of the NHL now, but he was one of the key lawyers with the NBA at the time. I sat down with Russ and Gary Bettman. And talked to him about uh, Charlotte and what, you know, I was wanting to do. And uh, they didn't have all this electronics and stuff back then, no cell phones. and and uh, But I'm convinced that David Stern was listening in his office. Hmm. And during the conversation, he walked in, had a cigar, smoking a cigar. And true, true story. And... Uh, he started asking me where Charlotte was, and no. uh, he did. And uh, it was just, uh, uh, it, I mean, it was the whole thing was really ama- quite amazing. And uh, he uh, uh, asked me how big the market was. He was starting, and I was blowing smoke. I really didn't have accurate information. Yeah. And what I was taking in consideration was not the city of Charlotte, but I was taking in the whole metropolitan area, which included part of South Carolina. And uh, it sounded good. I, I was proud of myself. It sounded really good. <laughs> so uh, uh, David said, well, there are a number of other people are supplying for. We don't know how many franchises we're going to give, but uh, if uh, you want to throw your – Hat in the ring, uh, I give you an application. 
And uh, I said, how much is the application fee? He said $100,000. And I said, is it refundable? And he said, "Well, if you if you if you so bullish about Charlotte, yeah, it'll be it'll be deducted from whatever the franchise is." And I said, "Well, I, I'm game. I'm in. Let, let me." So he gave me an application, and went back and, and uh, filled it out. That's how the thing got started. And then we, uh, uh, I just it it had it got to the point that I was so determined to make this happen i just i just felt like uh, uh you know I, I was told that yes it's basketball country but it's really up in a tar hill state yeah. and and well, around, college yeah, yeah college basketball yeah. country mm-hmm. and i just thought you know if people love college ball they'd love to see the pros play the best in the world i believed in it so much that i just kept pursuing it and when we made our announcements and whatever and I sent out the word I will come and speak to anybody that will listen and uh, I don't charge I won't charge you a penny and if you serve in dinner I pay for my own meal I pay for my own, own expenses getting there if you live in this in north of South Carolina I'll come and I was averaging three and four speeches a week and uh and so we and people were making hundred dollar deposits to be in line to get season tickets. And um, I remember one city council meeting in Charlotte. John, John Belk. Belk was the mayor at the right. time, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I had to make a. I was telling him I was wanting to bring a sports franchise to Charlotte. And I remember at that meeting they were. 10 could have been 20 different people that all were making a pitch well they waited to last for me and uh, I remember standing up to talk and John Belk didn't help he said we got an old boy here from Kannapolis North Carolina has a dream of bringing a franchise to Charlotte let's hear what he's got to say you know and I felt my gosh what kind of introduction is that but uh I stood up and started talking, and I almost fell. I I, li- I don't know if you've ever had this experience. It's the first time in my life it ever happened to me. But my legs were just trembling. I mean, trembling. I they had a it was like a a little gate across the thing. I kind of leaned over on it, and it helped me. Was it on to city council or something? Yes, you yes, okay. yes. And but as a result of that, and then I had to go up and make a presentation to the NBA owners, and um, I was so afraid. I said, "My God, I don't know how they're gonna have me situated there." But if my legs start shaking, they're not gonna give me anything. And so um, I flew up to New York, and uh, the day, the night before, I stayed in a. Um, it wasn't one of the nicer hotels, and I remember getting up that morning, and I start. I got on my knees, started praying, and I said, "Lord, I, I can't do this by myself. I'm scared to death. I just, I'm, I just don't feel like I can do a good job. I've practiced. I'm ready. Just be with me. Help me." And I recall I raised the window to get some fresh air. It was smelled musky in the hotel, and horns were blowing and everything else and that's when I was praying I got to thinking Lord I can't even 
I don't know if the Lord can hear me. So I decided I would walk out, and I said, there's got to be another church on Fifth Avenue. So I kept walking, walking all the way up to Saks Fifth Avenue, and uh, the Catholic Church was there, St. Patrick's Cathedral. And I said, well, I know Jesus is in there somewhere. I'm going to go and talk to him. I know this sounds crazy, but please believe me, it's true. Uh, and I, I was kind of brassy, I know, but I, I walked in, and Megan's Catholic, and I'm Protestant. I, I'm a Baptist, and and uh, but we, she goes to my church, I go to hers, and we we love the same Lord, so it's all good. And I remember walking in, I saw people lighting candles, so I looked around. I had a huge statue of Christ on the cross up front. So I, I went down, got on my knees, and I started praying. And I I just talked to God. I said, God, I'm scared to death. Please be with me. I I need you to be with me. I can't do this by myself. And I recall leaving, and I, as I was leaving, I started feeling better. And I had to go and make my presentation. Scott, I knocked it out of the park. It, I, I really did an incredible job. Yeah. I didn't have a note or anything. I just stood up. I I was so determined. And then when uh, I mentioned that I've also got a contract and I had something from Harvey, Harvey Gantt, mayor, that said that uh, we'll give him a lease for a dollar a year. And when I passed that up and they read that to the one guy in the back said, well, hell, I'm moving my team Charlotte. So that that had more to do with it, I think, than than anything. And then um, the uh, final day of the expansion committee was meeting on April Fool's Day. And that was uh, 1987. Sounds right. And... Uh, uh, I got a call from David saying, George, I'll call you today. The expansion committee is meeting. I'll call you today and um, let you know what's what. And I said, okay. So I recall I was in the office. I thought I'd get a call by 5 o'clock. Didn't happen. I stayed in the office till 8 o'clock. No call. And I started, for the first time, feeling so negative. I said, he's not calling me because he's going to wait till in the morning so I can get a decent night's sleep. And um, so I, saw, I drove home, started driving home. It was close to 9 o'clock. I pulled in the garage. And when I pulled in, of course, the garage door opened up. I pulled in, and the steps going into the house, my son opened the door, Chris, and who's my oldest child, and hollered down and said, uh, Dad, David Stern called you. You need to get in here and call him back. <laughs> and I said, oh, gosh, he's called me this late. Something is not good news. And uh, so I was taking my time getting out, and Chris came open, opened the door, said, Dad, get in here and call him back. David Stern's the commissioner. I said, Chris, I know who David Stern is. <laughs> and I said, I cannot let my family see me crying. So I got to find a, a room that's got a private phone in it, and it just so happened that we didn't have cell phones, 
but in our master bathroom, we had a and the toilet was just room enough for a toilet, and I had a phone in there. And we had a door you could close, so I could close the bedroom door, the bathroom door, and the toilet door. And nobody could hear me cry. You were locked tight. Yeah, yeah and I sit down on that seat and called him back. <laughs> and I remember as clear as it is now uh, that this girl answered the phone, and she was so cheerful. It was 9 p.m. And she said, good evening, NBA. And I said, Miss, this is George Chen. I'm returning Commissioner Stern's call. Hold on. And you know, when you're waiting on something like that, it seems like forever. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I waited, and and Russ Granite came on the phone. And he said, George, David's busy right now. Um, you want to hold, or would you like to have uh, me have him call you back? I said, no, I don't want to lose connection. No, 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 I want to find out what's going on. I said, what is going on, Russ? He said, David will tell you. When I, If you heard it like that, you would think, oh, my gosh, it is bad news. And so eventually David came on the phone, and uh, he didn't say hello or anything. He said, George. And I said, yes, David. He said, look. What I'm about to, the day's April Fool's Day, but what I'm about to tell you is not an April Fool's joke. He said, I'm calling you first because you have been selected first. Scott, I lost it. Mm. I started crying. I just, I, it was so emotional time in my life. I just could not believe it. I remember driving to Max Mulliman's house, and I could hardly talk to him. I was crying so much. We was hugging each other and kissing each other. It was crazy. <laughs> we'll be back right after this. Welcome back. And I want to thank particularly the fans for you. Without you, we wouldn't have this dream. And I also want to thank God for giving me the strength to keep moving forward. Thank you so much for supporting the Hornets. I love you very much. Thank you. So that's a great story, George, about the uh, the all the permutations about how, how the Hornets came to be. Amazing. I've never heard of all of that. So I want to ask you about some of your very best moments in Charlotte as the owner and also some of your very worst moments. You played your first game and your first season, and I know you've mentioned before those were significant oh, milestones. Yeah, the the first uh, game we played Cleveland, and I think we lost by 40-some points. And um, there were thousands of people that just stayed cheering the team afterwards. Said, boy, we made it now. This is something else. <laughs> it was really crazy. He had the rebound taken away by Trapuca. And um, I remember we had an exhibition game. And in the, we had to submit everything to the NBA to get their approval. For entertain, anything you do, you got to tell them. They got to approve it or disapprove it. And I got a call from David, and he told me that uh, you can't do the prayer. And I said, David, why, why, would you say, why would you tell me I couldn't do a prayer before the game? 
And I said, I own the franchise. He said, uh, well, you might own a franchise, but I control all the franchises and you can't do it. And I said, David, I'm going to do it. I'm in the Bible Belt and I made a promise and God's one of the reasons this thing has worked for me and I'm going to do this. And if you want to fight me, I'm going to fight you on it. And he said, let me call you back. So hour, two hours passed before the game. He called me and said, um, George, I tell you what, I'm going to let you do it. But the only way I'm going to let you do it is you can never do it in front of TV audiences and at TV. You can do it before the game starts. And as long as it's not on television, be all right. I said, well, what's the problem? He said, uh, you want to do it? That's the only way you can do it. I said, okay. So, and I told him, I said, I'm going to have rabbis, too, and, and all different religions here, so it'll be fine. That, that, that was what I did to try to honor the Lord. And and I, I got some grief from some of your guys. At I'm the sure yeah. No, no not, not negative. They, It was really a... Uh, I was compared to the circus guy Barnum or Badium. T.T. Barnum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, that Shin uh, uh, used. Uh, he's getting preachers coming, and he's notifying the churches that they can buy tickets to hear their preacher do the. <laughs> and he's selling tickets, and I was, I was. It's just that like was true. it was true. There were a lot of glory years here. You sold out. Every game, 24,000 seats, uh, just an amazing eight years in a row. 103, 102, Boston. Charlotte out of timeouts. Here's morning, the shot. Game over. You had some really good teams, 50 win teams over and over. Uh, place was absolutely packed. So, it eventually went wrong, though, uh, for you here. And and what do you attribute that to? Well, it was a, um, really a combination of things. But I believe that God puts us through struggles to make us stronger. And it certainly drew me closer to Him as a result of some stupid decisions I've made, bad judgment decisions. But... I, I think things happen sometimes for a reason. That, um, um, and when the referendum happened the way it did, I, I really had no choice. The referendum you're referring to is when you were trying to build a new arena uptown. It was put to a vote of Charlotte voters. And if I remember, uh, 57% of the people voted no. They then ran an end around around it, and that uh, that arena sits has been in Uptown Charlotte since 2004, probably pretty much very similar to the one you wanted to build. Uh, they ended up kind of bypassing the referendum through some political maneuverings. But in any case, you moved your franchise to New Orleans. But before that, you told me at one point in another interview that you thought the referendum partly that you lost it because people in Charlotte had lost confidence in you. Uh-huh. Uh, do you explain that a little bit? Well, I brought in a partner because of the uh, situation I found myself in. 
and I was dealing with a lot of negatives myself and having a family with three young children and, you know, going to the local schools there. And I just, uh, uh, it made sense it was time to move on and that I was not going to get the building I needed to survive. And what we needed was club seats and more suites and so you can charge bigger and get more money from it. And uh, uh, the old building didn't have that possibility. Charlotte Coliseum, if I remember, was ultimately obsolete almost from the day it opened, right, in terms of club seating right. and PSLs, all these things that now are a huge part of the revenue stream. But back then weren't, right? That's I mean, that wasn't... Great. People didn't know that. Well, it's yeah. one reason that helped us lead the league in attendance for so many years, because we had so many seats. Yeah. We had a lot of seats, but none of the big cash seats. No club seating, and uh, I think we had like six suites or something yeah. like that. It was very, very small. small. Mm-hmm. And so we had to do something, and and um, for uh, re- whether if they people just didn't like me anymore or, you know, whatever. I don't know. But I brought in a partner that uh, at the time was probably a mistake. There were some other cities that would have been a lot better than New Orleans, but uh, my partner wanted to go to New Orleans. He would worked out a side deal, and uh, it was just mm. – and well, the league was not wanting to go back either. So, uh, uh, but anyway, we went. I was uh, embraced. It was uh, quite an experience. And then we went through a really uh, crazy situation with uh, Hurricane Katrina. Moved to Oklahoma City. Yeah. we uh, And that was, uh, um, I remember, during the, right after the storm, uh, it was just unbelievable. So we had no choice. We had to relocate for a couple of years, and and so we went to uh, Oklahoma City, and um, that was quite an experience. And a lot of wealthy guys there in the oil business and whatever wanted to buy the team, and and uh, they offered me an incredible deal that I. I just felt like I had to move back to New Orleans. And uh, a lot of businesses were moving out of New Orleans. Half of our fan base moved out. and uh, But I just couldn't find it in my heart to leave. I just decided to stay. And, and uh, then during that time, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, I, I feel like that was, again, part of the master's plan that uh, got me out of the business and got me to doing what I should have been doing earlier, and that would be serving him more. You've given back in Charlotte, uh, you, if I remember, as a $7.5 million donation to t- tell the us about center. that, the well, Stroke Center. Stroke yeah. Which you had a very personal experience yeah, yeah. with. Well, yeah, they what what happened? Felix about us. Felix is quite the character. I I, <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. Felix. Yeah. He uh, was on the board at the hospital. He called me. This was uh, a couple of years ago, 
and he said, George, I'm calling. We're trying to raise money for the stroke centers. Tell me all the good stuff. I said, how much, Felix? <laughs> and uh, he said, will you do $10 million? And I said, Felix, $10 million? I can't write you a check for $10 million. He said, yeah, but you can work it out. And uh, then he, uh, I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you five. And he, uh, he said, George. This stroke center saved your life. And it did. <laughs> and I said, Felix, you played a hard game here, aren't you? That's a, that's a big trump card and, there. Yeah. yeah, and then after he said that, he said, I tell you what, why don't we just split the difference and you do seven and a half? I said, all right, I'll do it. And that's how it came about. People are, are benefiting from your generosity and, you know, you're blessed and you're blessing others. And I'll say, and I, I wonder if you disagree with this, but I think, I'm not sure you ever would have left Charlotte if, I think the only mistake you really made was, well, several mistakes, but the one that where you disappeared. There was a trial on court TV, for those who don't know, which you won, but there was a lot of behavior that you had to admit to on the stand that I think hurt you in the Bible Belt. But at that point, even then, I think, you were, and you don't let me put words in your mouth, but I think if you had said, look, I messed up, I'm so sorry. No, I totally agree with you. I, I just, I was embarrassed. I was, I made a mistake. I was worried about my children and um, it ended up, uh, my wife filed for divorce. So my life at that point was somewhat destroyed and I was embarrassed, and I just, you know, you can only take so much. So uh, I just felt like that uh, once I moved and went to New Orleans, I started doing the same things in New Orleans. I'm talking about the good stuff. Right. And, and yeah, I, didn't, I didn't start screwing around there, I assure you that. But uh, no, I, I knew where you were going. And, yeah. and but uh, it uh, uh, and they embraced me. It was really it was re and we were making it work until the storm hit. The storm was a and it was devast devastating. A lot oh of my gosh! So it was just. And... But you know, I look at it. I'm I'm really proud because one reporter there and wrote a story. I never even thought about it. But he said George Shen is the reason for ten percent of the teams in the league and if you think about it uh, that that's basically true that uh, charlotte and new orleans and oklahoma city well the last thing george um that i'd like to ask you is just if as you look forward now at age 81 uh what do you want to do with however many years you have left well, I'm trying to extend the years by taking care of myself, and I've got a wonderful wife that's helping me. Um, when I'm in Florida, I ride my bike 20 miles five days a week. Uh, traffic's too bad in Tennessee to do that, and the mountains are too high in North Carolina mountains. So, uh, But I still work out and try to stay in shape. So physically, I'm in really good shape, and, and I just... Uh, I still enjoy going and speak because I like to motivate and lift people up and who hasn't been through troubles and problems, and I try to encourage them, don't give up. 
I have been blessed with Charlotte and with the people there. I'm so grateful for how they lifted me up and embraced me. And I think I owe them something. And I'm coming back. I'm going to do all I can to help. I'll, there'll be other things that I'll be reaching out to help. And, and it's just something I want to do. And I will do it. And I do love Charlotte, and I love the people. I know most of them are new, and they don't know who I am, but <laughs> there are a lot of old-timers. I realized when I went through my last marriage, she lived in Charlotte, and I didn't want to come back to Charlotte because I was afraid people, you know, people still remembered me, and and uh, and that was a mistake. I should have come back and just said, look, I made a stupid decision, and uh, uh, David Stern told me that I ought to, and I didn't follow his advice. He said, y'all just say, look, I made a bad judgment decision. Don't admit to doing anything, but just say I made a bad decision and just move on. And uh, a lot of times I didn't listen to David, and that was one of them I probably should have. <laughs> but well, anyway, anyway, I'm, I'm uh, uh, I've made some mistakes that I'm not proud of. I've done a lot of good things that I'm very, very proud of, and uh, the proud way outweighs the bad. I promise you that. I believe you. And you put Charlotte on the map. I tell you what, Russ Granick knows where it is now. I bet, oh, I right? <laughs> well, George Shen, I can't thank you enough for being with us on Sports Legends of the Carolinas. Uh, we'll just close with if there's anything that you'd like to, I don't know, tell the audience or, or anything like that about your time in Charlotte. Well, the only thing I'd like to do is to make uh, comments to people to, no matter what their circumstances, if they're struggling now, if they've uh, made bad decisions like I have, and if they stumbled, failed, just get up and keep moving forward. And I think that is the best advice I could give them. My mom gave me that, and she said, son, there are going to be dark days in your life. There are going to be times in your life when you just can't believe what's happening. It could be uh, loss of a spouse. It could be loss of a child. It could be anything that's going to happen. But uh, I want you to remember that the most powerful thing you could do is during the darkest hours of your life is having the strength to get down on your knees and ask God for guidance. And I believe that with every fiber of my body... That's George Shin. I'm Scott Fowler. Thank you for joining us on Sports Legends of the Carolinas. Remember, you'll find much more about this interview and about all of our guests, including Steph Curry, Roy Williams, Dale Earnhardt Jr., and Don Staley, in our Sports Legends book. It's scheduled to be published in fall of 2023. Pre-order your copy now at sportslegendsbook.com. Thanks so much for listening to Sports Legends of the Carolinas, a production of the Charlotte Observer. This show is produced by Lou May Ali-Sally, Jeff Siner, and Cotta Stevens. The sports editor of the Charlotte Observer is Lydia Craver, and the executive editor is Raina Cash. Davin Coburn is McClatchy's director of audio. For lots more sports content and to continue supporting this kind of work, please visit charlotteobserver.com and consider a digital subscription. And connect with me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fowler or email at sfowler at charlotteobserver.com. See you next time.